from Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Chris Steele from Pliant. Chris, it's really nice to have you on. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Excited to be here and uh, excited for our conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited too. So tell me, Chris, a bit about yourself and your company as well. Yeah, for sure. As you mentioned, my name is Chris Steele. I'm the VP of sales uh, at Pliant, which is a low-code infrastructure automation platform. I started my career in the financial services space. I saw that technology was replacing a lot of jobs in that space and decided to make the move over about eight years ago now. And been working at a variety of different tech companies since, primarily in sales functions, product development slash bringing new products to market. But yeah, got back together with a few folks from my network here at Pliant, and we're doing some really cool stuff. So excited to share a little bit more about what we're doing. Oh, that's awesome. I'm excited to hear about it. So Chris, tell me a bit about what infrastructure automation is for those of us that maybe aren't as technical and in the weeds of that. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's always good to, to set the table, right? These days, you're hearing a lot about automation. And automation isn't a new concept. It's been around for 20, 30 years. People have been writing scripts to do something in an automated way to eliminate manual tasks. But as of late, especially with COVID, you've really heard a lot about robotic process automation. So RPA, right? With UiPath, Automation Anywheres of the World. And really, those are a lot of front-end business processes, whether it's in HR or finance, and trying to... to eliminate some of those manual tasks. We've taken a bit of a different approach than your traditional RPA vendor, if you will, and really said, and primarily because it's our our domain expertise, let's not focus on the front end business processes, but let's focus on many of those manual tasks that happen throughout your IT infrastructure. So that can be in a cloud environment, that can be in an on-premise environment, but our goal is really to allow the orchestration of all the different technologies and different vendors' technologies that make up your enterprise to talk to one another more seamlessly at the Mm. API level. And as I had highlighted, I, I think the simplest way is to think of us as the glue between different technologies that comprise a holistic offering. And that might be for a company like Verizon or T-Mobile or Netflix. There's a lot of things that go on in the background to uh, d- deliver the service that we consume regularly. So we're kind of in the shadows helping to ensure that things are firing off correctly and, and technologies talk to one another at the API level seamlessly. Oh, totally. That's awesome. So you might be in the shadows, but it sounds like something super valuable and critical for these services. Yeah, for sure. And it certainly is. And obviously, through COVID, there's been an acceleration to adopt and ingest different types of technologies in different ways. And really seeing a lot of the companies that we're focused on, which are primarily Fortune 2000 type companies, they've accelerated their cloud journey. But it's not just, hey, we're going to pick up everything we've done on premise and move to the cloud overnight. So how do you work with those customers and prospects to understand their vision, accelerate their journey to the cloud, and also ensure that by integrating or bringing new technology into their environment, their end users or their customer experience isn't going to take a hit. So it's been some heady conversations, but we've 
felt some tailwinds as a result of COVID. And definitely, like I said, we we don't need to be the people front and center saying, look how great we are. But there's a little bit of that emotional paycheck knowing in the background, just how much we're enabling companies to transact or do business faster or change their customer experience as a result of not having to worry about some of those mundane manual tasks that like traditionally a lot of very well compensated people have just done the same thing over and over day after day. And it's like, let's repurpose those people and really have them focus on initiatives that are going to drive the business forward. So that's been, it's been fun to be a part of. And I'm learning a lot about APIs. I never, never thought I'd be this far in the weeds, but I'm definitely learning a lot every day. Oh, totally. Yeah. It sounds really interesting. So you're focused on the Fortune 2000 market. And what would be an example of maybe a typical project? for you guys within that yeah, market and space. For sure. And as I had mentioned, there are a lot of different automation technologies out there. You have tools like Ansible for configuration management, and then you have things like HashiCorp with Terraform. That's more of a declarative language. So it says, this is what your world should look like. And then we're going to use an Ansible to configure your world to look like that. And so there are a lot of tools like that that we're integrating with that make up a holistic process. But to answer your your question more directly, Brad, a very common use case for us is really spinning up virtual machine or compute resources, right? Mm. Traditionally, there's a process or a ticketing system, let's call it a service now, where an application engineer says, hey, I have a new idea or a new service that I want to construct on top of AWS or OpenStack or in our VMware environment. They submit a ticket, do the t-shirt size, small, medium, large VM that I might need. And then there's a series of processes on the back end that are traditionally manual and go across, let's say, three or four teams. And designing an IP address with an IPAM solution. It's adding it to a, a vCenter and a VMware environment. So there are many manual steps and it's usually ticket gets passed from one team to the next and then it's in the back of the queue. We've had customers who have told us like when an application engineer wants to build a new application, it's taking them between seven to nine days to get access to a VM to start their job, which Should it take that long? No, but a lot of the red tape that's in place and and kind of the checks and balances from manual processes prohibit that. So what we've done is, again, documented the APIs for the five technologies that comprise that overall process in an automated fashion, go through that checklist that once was manual, but in a more systematic way to allow an application engineer when they request to, to have access to that virtual machine that they want to build on top of within two minutes. So really uh, a quantum leap as far as uh, on the access front. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's awesome. So sounds like this year has been really uh, strong for you guys. And you, like you said, it's accelerated the journeys of some of these companies that they're going through. Tell me a bit more about that, what this year has looked like for you guys and paint that picture of what you've been up to. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that the cloud story definitely has been an accelerant for us. And as far as what a lot of the companies that we're working with are experiencing, it's do more with less. So how can you augment what you're uh, doing today and, and introduce automation to make your team more efficient, make your day-to-day more efficient so you actually can do more? And so uh, I think 
Strategically, a lot of companies have had to take a step back and say, hey, what got us to where we are today isn't going to get us to that next step. And like you see a lot of challengers um, and technologies that you and I have been using for many years, like Zoom that we're on right now, that are becoming more mainstream. So I think that there are a lot of challengers out there in the form of early startups or a little bit more mature startups who are more agile, can change uh, on a dime, and are more nimble than some of these large Fortune 2000 companies. So it's taking elements and traces of what those earlier stage startups have been doing for years and, and how can you apply that methodology to the larger Fortune 2000 companies. And it's a sink or swim environment right now. And so a lot of companies are taking a, a hard look in the mirror and saying, hey, we need to rethink how we're doing things and where can we innovate to allow our top talent to focus on initiatives that are going to drive our business forward. It's a long-winded way uh, of saying it's been a reality check and it hasn't been all sunshine and, and, and flowers and roses over here for us. Like we've had our fair share of challenges and how we're going to market and how we're working with customers and how we're building relationships. It's been a challenging year, no doubt, but I think we have a lot to be grateful for in the form of we went from zero to one. We took those first steps. We were pre-revenue last year and we have a sizable amount of revenue uh, in our first full year and going to nice. market. We're still alive. We're still growing. We're adding headcount. So we're extremely fortunate. We don't take it for granted. But that's when I say tailwinds, like that is a story that I don't think many early stage startups can tell right now. And so we're definitely yeah. blessed. Yeah, that's awesome. So that being said, what is one of the biggest challenges that you've faced this year out of all those? Yeah. So the transition to remote from an infrastructure perspective was very easy, right? Everything we were doing was, was everything is SaaS-based, right? So it's not like we're doing a forklift from on-prem technologies to cloud. That was very simple, and we did that very effectively and, and quick. But I think the intangibles, the water cooler type conversations or grabbing somebody and jumping into a conference room and doing some whiteboarding to discuss like challenges that they're facing or objections they're trying to overcome if it's a sales perspective or talking to the product team to understand a little bit more about what's in this sprint. Like this customer had this request, is that in our roadmap or should we prioritize that in the future? So those anecdotal conversations that you have when in an office environment are just really hard to mimic when you're entirely remote. The communication factor has definitely been more of a challenge. I, I, I definitely have felt that shifting budgets and priorities from a, a customer or prospect engagement has been challenging. There have been a number of folks who, who haven't said, hey, automation is no longer on our radar. Like it absolutely is, but budgets have dried up and people froze spending for extended periods of times through this year. And like when you think of the core platform or, or what you discuss with a lot of people, the lifelong customer, I think that's an opportunity or was an opportunity for us to really dig in and, and say, hey, we are a partner. Like, we don't want to be a vendor who's trying to beat you over the head and, and get an order in. We need to be a partner. So when budgets do unfreeze, like we've established a relationship, we've gone through a POC, like we've proven the value. And then it's just a, a, a matter of, of when, not if, right? That Those have been some of the challenges. And one, one personal challenge for me, and, and I'm not envious, but we've brought on some BDRs as of late, and it's a lot of responsibility 
being the company that provides the platform for somebody to start their professional career coming out of college. And there's challenges when you're in the office. And so amplify that and being entirely remote, it forced us to have our ducks in a row and try and create an onboarding plan or path, given that we are still pre-series A company that would help them get up to speed from a content and technical and just an aptitude perspective. But when you're trying to, to again, structure and have that be a, a springboard for their career professionally, those soft learning skills are tougher to do via Zoom. And mm-hmm. you have a lot of, I hate to use the word kids, but you have a lot of young professionals coming out of college who haven't moved into a city to start their career in a city. They've moved into their parents' basement. So it's like, how do you teach those life skills and be a mentor and and be somebody who's a sounding board, but let them learn on their own as well without coddling them from their parents' basement. So that's definitely been a challenge for me and and something that has kept me up at night is, am I providing the best platform for these folks that are getting started with their career to to be successful and feel like they're having an impact on on what we're doing? And so that's been a challenge for me. My wife's heard about it uh, far too many times. So what are some ways in which you build these lifelong relationships with your customers? Yeah, I've thought about this a lot since you and I started chatting about this podcast and really what is the, the recipe or the formula for building a, a lifelong relationship? And, and I think it, it, it's synonymous with uh, a marriage, right? You, it really takes time and you have to build trust. But at the core, you have to care about the person who you're working with. And that's hard to do early on. It's, hey, you're a sales guy. I know what your end goal is. And so how do you break that stigma and really understand the the why behind a person? Like what makes them tick? Why are they engaging with your company or your brand? What do they see in your platform that's going to help improve their lives? And I think each step of the way, you have to get back to doing what's right be radically transparent throughout the process. At times, I probably tell customers or prospects too much of what's going on in the background, but it builds that trust. It builds that transparency, which gets you credibility at the end of the day. And again, it takes a long time to build trust, whether it's in a marriage or, or in a sales environment, but it takes one misstep to entirely deteriorate that trust. And just being consistent, you have a bad day or a good day, like you have to not ride the highs or, or be defeated by the lows and just continue to be consistent. And I think for me, and just what I care about personally and some of the philanthropic things and faith and family and friends, right? You transfer those things to how you engage with your customers and kind of your sales brand, if you will. And I think it transcends and how it's the foundation for how you do develop a lifelong relationship with customers. I spent an hour yesterday connecting with a, a guy that I worked with, and I can say it publicly now, but at Google, who him and I spent two years trying to get on shape, which was the last company I was at, into Google. And we had a lot of highs and a, a lot of lows together, but you just, you take those relationships forward. You do it for the right reasons. You try and help them. They want to help you. And really have to build a sense of like, we're in this together. But if you don't understand what their why is, it's only going to be viewed as a vendor and buyer type relationship. It's mm-hmm. never going to be a, a true partnership. And at its core, right? Some people would look at 
my approach or our approach and say the customer acquisition cost is through the roof if that's your approach and you want to bring in development and you want to give them full visibility into how your support team works and the handoff to customer success and etc but i am very much so in the camp of if you do right and, and you take the right approach to developing that lifelong partner or lifelong relationship with the customer it's going to pay hand over fist in multiples of who they talk to, who's in their network, the brand that you are. And my, and it's, it's not a perfect science, but it's like, if you treat one customer really well and they're willing to shout from the mountaintops that they enjoy working with you, your brand, your culture, I think it pays four times over every single time. You get four new customers from every really happy lifelong partner that you establish. So that's my methodology and my approach to it. There are a lot of other folks that probably you've talked to who, who don't take the same approach, but that's our thing here at Pliant. I love it. That's awesome. So I always love asking this question, what's maybe a, a funny or fun story of building one of these relationships in years past oh, for you? Yeah, it's, there are countless. There are a lot of highs and, and less lows, but I think one particularly that I always laugh my butt off thinking about is we, were, we had a team that went out to Beaverton, uh, Oregon to, to meet with a small company out there. And we spent an entire day in a workshop or building kind of technical credibility and working with their teams and working through what a proof concept is going to look like. We have an unbelievable series of meetings with different technical folks, business folks, et cetera. And that all was being wrapped up in the, the traditional pre-COVID way of let's go, I'll, I'll go out to dinner and get some drinks and enjoy each other's company and get to know each other more personally. So we sit down at this great Italian restaurant and me, I think at the time I was 29 or, or 30 trying to be this executive. And I was like, oh yeah, I'd love to see the wine list. And, and so I start to order and the most senior person from the, the company that we were meeting with kind of puts his hand up like this in the middle of dinner. And I was like, we will not be drinking that. And I was like, I thought this was a decent wine. It was like the second or third cheapest on the list. I thought I, I was doing right by our company as well. He looked at me and he goes, Chris, we're not drinking a super Tuscan. We're in the Willamette Valley, which is known for the best Pinot Noirs in the world. We're going to drink Pinot Noir. I was like, all right, done. Like, everybody at the table just kind of picks their head up and is entirely silent and certainly put me in my place. But I will tell you that I've uh, now become a Pinot Noir drinker since. So there you uh, go. give me a favor that night as well. <laughs> but yeah, that was a small anecdotal one that comes top of mind. But there are so yeah. many. And oh, that's fun. Yeah. It's been fun. It's been fun establishing and yeah. That, those long-term relationships. And if you do it the right way, there are many laughs along the way, like in the form of stories about each other's kids or uh, marriages. There's just so many bright spots that you get a lot of laughs out of if you do things the right way. And, and like I said, genuinely care about uh, the people that you're working with, both internally and on the customer prospect side. Totally, I love it. So what key advice would you give other sales and marketing leaders that are listening? Yeah, Wow. I'm humbled. I was hoping that you were going to give me all the, all the advice here. No, I, I think this year has been a trying year and it's forced people to be creative in different ways. And I think empathy is something that is a word that is slightly buzzy this year, especially, but how do you stay true to that in the years going forward? I think buying behavior has changed significantly as a result of COVID. I think being entrepreneurial in the form of like, how do you engage with your buyer and deliver value to your buyer from the start is critical. 
And so I think being entrepreneurial, investing in tools and platforms that are going to help you really understand the why behind uh, why somebody's engaging with your brand. Virtual events have been pretty interesting. I'm not entirely sold on them yet, but that's something that we've seen be extremely fruitful for us this year and in lieu of in-person events. And in general, I think there are silver linings behind the, the year being 2020. And I think at the end of the day, it's been almost a close of, of a chapter of the over-the-top, very aggressive sales approach. I think it's been ushered out over the last, let's say, five years or so and with the rise of product-led growth. But I think now more than ever, you need to be relatable. Somebody needs to be able to come to your site and say, yes, that's me. I experienced that problem. How can you help me solve it? And each step along the way, from a sales, marketing, and product perspective, you need to reinforce how you are helping that person. Your platform helps them get to their end goal. And not to say that people weren't doing that before, but I just think this year has amplified that significantly. And I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing for the technology space. I think it's a good thing for our customers. I think it's a good thing for every technology company to to almost adopt this new, more empathetic approach to how people engage with your brand and your sales team. I don't know if that's necessarily advice. It's a a long-winded way of talking through what's been on my mind and how I think we'll change as we continue to move forward. But that's, yeah, that's what I would say as far as advice or anecdotal what's come out of this year. Awesome. I love it. Hey, thanks so much, Chris, for joining. I, I appreciate your time today and sharing all your insights, advice, and wisdom. And it's much appreciated. Yeah. And thanks for having me, Brad.